Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. We are back season two. We took a break because we had a lot of things that we were planning and creating, and we are so happy to have been able to give the time and energy to those things. But now we are back and we are starting with a conversation that is so important to the time that we're currently living in. We are living through the coronavirus pandemic, students are going back to school, and education for Black lives is as important as it has ever, ever been. And so this time, we had a conversation with Ms. Dr. Davis um, about everything homeschooling. And so we think it's going to be extraordinarily helpful to all the parents out there who want to make sure that their child is getting the education that they deserve, considering that they have to do it from behind a screen. So please, please enjoy this conversation. Like, comment, share the podcast, let us know what you learned from it. And we are more than excited about the fact that we are back for season two. Enjoy. Here we go. All right. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. We've been on a little bit of a break, but we're super, super excited to be back here with you all. And so, as always, I want to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves to the listeners because that's the best introduction that you can possibly get. So please take it away. Great, great. Well, thank you so much, Eva, for inviting me here on Black on Black Education's podcast. My name is Dr. Danielle Joy Davis. I am a faculty member in the School of Education at St. Louis University. And in the School of Education, in essence, much of my research currently centers upon homeschooling. I am a person who in the past, at periods during my youth, was homeschooled by my mother, who is an award-winning educator, Dr. Linda Davis. She's also a educational consultant and writer these days. So I was homeschooled on and off by Dr. Linda Davis. I also started homeschooling my own son. And we actually started homeschooling before the pandemic, well before the pandemic. We started off with supplemental slash part-time homeschooling where he was homeschooled and then a portion of the time he was in the public school system. And then finally he, he was like, mama, I just want you to homeschool me full time. So I was more than happy to make that transition with him from supplemental homeschooling to full-time homeschooling. So because of my experiences with homeschooling, my work as a homeschool parent, as well as my consulting work with over 200 homeschooling families in the Midwest. In essence, my research now centers upon the experiences of homeschoolers, both the youth who are being homeschooled, as well as the parents who are choosing the homeschool. I'm doing research on both populations. So I'm very excited about that work that is ongoing. And I also welcome continuing to serve the community in this way. Absolutely. So it's kind of, I, I, I'm interested in, in what made you choose this field. So I know you talked a little bit about your mom homeschooling you for, for periods of your education, but talk a little bit about why you chose to particularly um, get an expertise around homeschooling. Sure, sure. In essence, 
My work has always centered upon the experiences of marginalized groups in education from K all the way through 16, looking at the experiences of African-Americans in education, K-12 and higher education, looking at the experiences of Latino Latinas, looking at the experiences of indigenous populations in our educational systems. Everything from the history of marginalized people and how those histories play out into today's educational outcomes, or in essence, what happens once our youth, our brown youth, our black youth graduate. So what are the outcomes, right? So for years, 15 years worth of research and scholarship has centered upon that. So I think that my work in terms of homeschooling is just a natural progression and a part of what I have been doing because homeschooling oftentimes, and if you look at the literature, you'll find this, homeschooling oftentimes for marginalized communities often is an issue of parents taking the lead and saying, I'm going to use this as a tool to create greater outcomes for my child, to create greater fairness for my child and treatment for my child. In essence, using homeschooling to create educational equity is something that Black and Brown parents in the United States have been doing for many years now. And now the numbers are not in the hundreds, we're not in the thousands, in terms of full-time Black and Brown homeschoolers in the United States. We're in the millions, okay? So we're not a small bit, you know? We may be a population that's under, under um, resourced and a population who uh, in terms of study is understudied, mm -hmm. but we, in terms of numbers, we are significant. Uh, we are very organized. You would be absolutely astounded with the brilliance that black and brown homeschooling families exercise every single day and the outcomes for their children far exceed the outcomes of our students who are in the public and private systems. Mm. So, so that's the reason why I study home education right now. I think that again, first of all, it's very personal and it's very close, right? Because I have that experience it's been a popular practice in my family. I am not the only family member who has been homeschooled in my family. And I also have chosen to homeschool my son at his request, right? Mm -hmm. And even, even to this day, he's like, I want to be homeschooled all the way throughout high school. But he says the, the next time he wants to go into a classroom, is in college. So he's serious about his home education. <laughs> yeah. So this is why I study it. You know, the, I think that we are a population who th there's so much that others can learn from us. There's so much 
that other parents can learn for, from us as black and brown homeschoolers. Again, because of the rich resources and, and, and um, understanding in terms of curriculum that these parents are exercising every single day, you know, there's a lot to be learned, you know, for uh, teachers, for administrators, from these parents and from these families. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's like, we can't also parse out the fact that we're in this moment, right? This moment of COVID-19, this moment of the reinsurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so Mm -hmm. I want to kind of think about the importance of the time that we're currently living in and that shift that's coming from so many people about deciding to homeschool their Black children. So like, what is the importance of parents, of of students of color particularly, to make this shift um, into homeschooling? I think that from what I'm seeing from various homeschool groups and various homeschool families, even within my city, excuse me, is that now that they've been, for lack of better way of putting it, forced to play a very significant role in their child or children's education due to the pandemic, now that they've been forced to do it and they've had a couple of months to practice, a couple of months to exercise their own family pedagogy, a couple of months to understand how their own child learns firsthand, day in, day out, a lot of parents are coming to the realization, I actually can do this. And not only can I do this, man, I'm doing it well. You know, a lot of parents are coming to this realization. And and I know some parents, this may be anecdotal, but I know personally some parents who are at the point where they do not feel like they need anyone else's curriculum anymore. At first, they felt as if, okay, to do this correctly, I need to abide by this state curricula, or I need to abide by exactly what my school system says I need to be doing at home. I think some of these parents have come to the conclusion, you know what? I have all these resources at my fingertips. They're building their own curricula, you know, uh, things that speak to their own individual child and they are actually loving this experience, you know? So uh, I, and it's actually as a long-term homeschooler and a person who has knowledge of the homeschooling community in the way that I do, to to watch parents make that transition from, I must rely upon the state-sponsored curriculum, make this transition to, wow, I can do this myself. And then for them to see firsthand, I'm doing this myself. My child is learning and our family is benefiting in all these beautiful ways. And to just to see that light bulb pop on for them, it's just so beautiful to watch. Yes, I, I can only imagine how beautiful that is to watch. And, it's, and it brings me kind of into um, my next question and thinking about like so many people haven't even taken this leap or understanding around what it means to take ownership over their child's education. And so explain to folks, particularly for Black families, what 
what does homeschooling look like and how does it support um, the educational outcomes of their of their children? Okay, very good question. Well, I think it's very important to acknowledge that first, homeschooling laws vary state by state. Okay, that's very important. So if a person would like to take the leap from their district's education to homeschooling, i.e. deciding upon the curriculum yourself as a parent, constructing the curriculum yourself as a parent, deciding what your schedule is gonna be in your household, if you choose to take that step, which a lot of parents are, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that first of all, you need to understand your own state's homeschool law, all right? That very state by state, all right? There's a wonderful organization um, called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And that association's website has a state-by-state -state description of what homeschool parents need to know, depending upon what state you live in. So to give you an example, in the state of Missouri, where I live, in essence, students must have 1,000 hours of homeschooling each year, all right? According to the state of Missouri, they don't care when you do these 1,000 hours. They, have, they don't care. They don't care if the 1,000 hours take place in the morning. They don't care if you're doing afternoon work. They don't care if all the 1,000 hours are taken care of evening hours. They don't care. As long as the 1,000 hours of parent-to-child education is taking place, they are happy, okay? So with that in mind, and again, this is only the state of Missouri. So if you live in, you know, I don't know, Montana, follow Montana's laws, okay? Yeah, but, in, yes. <laughs> but in the state of Missouri, given there is a 1,000 hour expectation, in essence, what I've done is I've decided to, and, and again, this is informed by me knowing my child, me knowing myself, me knowing my own work schedule, right? Because I'm a full-time single working mom, right? Mm -hmm. So with all those in place, I know I have 1,000 hours to educate. What I've chosen to do is in essence, break that into four hour increments. So instead of educating six hours, a day, five hours a day, I have calculated, and I know this because I've been doing this for almost two years now, wow. that in essence, when I educate my son four hours a day, Monday through Friday, all year round, it equates to over 1,000 hours. Mm -hmm. I meet, in essence, I meet that 1,000 hour mark, right? And in essence, I also know that the state of Missouri does not give restrictions in terms of when the four, how the four hours are orchestrated, right? Mm -hmm. 
So there are sometimes during the day, and again, this is the beauty of homeschooling. If we have four hours, there are some times that we call it morning work. I tell my son, you must do your morning work before any computer activity for mm -hmm. two hours. So he knows he needs to do independent reading. He knows he needs to work in his math book, right? He knows that sometimes I have him read out loud to me, and then we discuss the contents after he reads out loud. Whatever happens for that two hour period, usually I prefer it has nothing to do with technology, right? Mm -hmm. So that's two hours, right? So then there's another four hours. Typically for that other four hours, what he's doing is we call it his genius time, right? Hmm. So the other two hours, which, and, and again, that's part of our four for the day, the other two hours he's doing things related to a project that he chose. So to give you an example, one thing that he's working on literally right now, because he says he wants to work ahead, he's, and, and it's interesting because this is a Saturday and he's working on this on Saturday. So in essence, what he's doing is he's working on a paper, an essay on black holes because he's very interested in cosmology, mm. very interested in, in anything related to astrophysics. So right now he's working on his paper related to black holes, right? And he's doing his research. He's already done about a page so far. So, so he's, he's slowly building up ah. that work. So that's just one example of how a parent can organize the time. And, and I think it's very important, and this is very useful for working parents as well. It's very important realize, to realize that your hours do not have to occur in a string. Because yeah. do you see how I broke up that four hours, right? Sometimes we have we have the morning work in the morning, but sometimes his other two hours may not occur until like five o'clock in the evening, right? Depending on what we're doing, our schedule, but he's still getting that bare minimum four hours in. Now, realistically, realistically, Eva, oftentimes he's doing schoolwork well over four hours, you know? But in essence, we know that he's doing what the state of Missouri is asking for in terms yeah. of Yeah. Does that answer the question? No, it absolutely does. And I think that it takes into account um, this idea that homeschooling is a, it's taking what the public education system has done with education and completely re replicating it at home, which you're telling us that that is not, that is not what homeschooling means. And I think that that answers our question kind of perfectly. Yes. And I will share with you and the audience that there are different types of homeschooling. So realistically, there are some parents out there who are very committed to that nine to three or eight thirty mm -hmm. to three model of homeschooling. And in their families, they really feel like they want to recreate the brick and mortar system in their home. Those people do exist. Now I must say that based upon what I've seen, most of the parents I know, those people exist, but most of the parents I know prefer not to do that. They figure if I'm going to do that, I should just send 
them to the public school. So, so most of the parents I know, they, uh, in essence, do something similar to what I do. They look at their own child. They look at their own circumstances and situation. They look at the state guidelines for their state, you know, because it varies. And they ask themselves, what's going to be the best learning experience for my child. Mm, mm. I don't have to, and they realize, I don't have to recreate the public or private school system. I can give my child what he or she needs in whatever learning fashion works well for them. Mm. So that's why, like I said, I don't want you to think that no one wants to recreate the brick and mortar in their home. Those people do exist, but I would say at, at least in my realm, those people are very much the minority. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's important to say both, right? It's important to say that there are some people that think that the structure is necessary for their child. The nine to three structure and making sure that they stick to this sort of schedule is important for their child. But then homeschooling also gives the flexibility to say, well, no, that doesn't work for my child. And I should let them work on a project here. And I should let them go in and really focus hard on the things that they're interested in, like you talking about your your son on a Saturday deciding to spend time creating an essay about black holes because that's something that's important to him and that means a lot to him. And I think that that's something that's missing in our in our public education system where children aren't given the opportunity to fully and completely delve themselves into the things that they are actually interested in. And so, mm-hmm. kind of shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about. What, what we've been talking about is liberation in education, right? And so I want you to think about and tell our listeners to you, what does liberation mean? And particularly, how does homeschooling help support liberation for Black, for black folks? Excellent question. I think that from my perspective, one aspect of liberation is decolonizing or working to decolonize whatever curricula is popular in the brick and mortar system, right? I know that the curriculum that I had as a kid was mighty colonized, yes? Very much so. (laughs) The curriculum I had as an undergraduate, very much colonized. And I think what a lot of parents are realizing now and asking themselves now is, is this colonized curricula mentally and intellectually serving my child? Is it? Is it, is it resulting in the outcomes that I want for my child? Is it creating a an atmosphere where my child feels valued, where my child feels validated, where my child feels honored, is it? And a lot of black and brown people, parents are saying, no, it doesn't look like that so. So I think I'm gonna do this myself in a way that honors our culture, in a way that validates our culture, in a way that builds strong men and women for their communities, all right? And I think in terms of liberation, that's part of liberation. Coming to the conclusion and and seeing 
whether or not something truly is serving you or not. That's a portion of liberation in my view. Mm, absolutely. And I think that those questions are so incredibly important for us to be asking ourselves, even in this time of getting closer to the election, this has been coming up for me a lot, is this idea that I think that a lot of people feel um, that their power has been stripped for them or they have never had it, right? And so when we're thinking about the education system, that's so important to kind of bring into the conversation. It's teachers work for us and our children, right? Um, principals, administrations, the public education system as a whole works for us. And unfortunately, we've come to a place where in the public education system, parents, I, I, for the most part, um, don't necessarily feel that they have as much power as they actually do over the curriculum, over what's being taught, and kind of holding these systems accountable um, for what their children deserve. And so I think some of those questions that you posed are such an incredible way of us thinking about our civic duty and how we should be um, speaking to our to our um, school boards and our public officials about what they need to be thinking about in terms of educating our children, particularly on that local level. So just kind of advocating for people to vote in that situation, just because in those, in those questions that you asked, it really makes me think how often and how many of us are asking those questions of the public education system, particularly for those who can't make the shift um, into homeschooling. Um, and so that, that, that leads me directly into my next question, right? What about the, the financial aspect, right? What about the parents who are, who are working class? What about, what is, how does this model kind of fit into those people's lives? Very good question. Actually, if you look at the black and brown homeschooling community, you know, look at the, the financial situations, the living situations, of many of the over 200 families that I've worked with, and I've predominantly worked with black and brown families, is that many are working class, right? The wonderful thing about homeschooling is that it, or, it allows for flexibility in terms of scheduling in terms of, of resources. And I think you asked about resources related to family home education. And a lot of times individuals will draw upon what our tax dollars are already paying for, right? The public library often has so many resources available that are absolutely free, right? I know here in Missouri, our libraries have a very extensive online component. And our libraries have full curricula already available from K through 12. Our libraries have free classes that people can take free of charge that can be considered a part of the homeschooling experience. So I know that a lot of parents rely upon public library resources a lot of parents also are very creative and they draw upon the current expertise of other homeschooling parents, all right? So just to give you an example, there are homeschooling co-ops that develop 
amongst small groups of homeschooling parents, where to give you an example, I have a strength in teaching middle school math. I'm sorry, middle school math and science, right? You know, another parent had a wonderful gift, uh, was an accountant, right? So we collaborated where I would teach math and science and the other parent would teach, okay, practical math, right? So how does this mathematics look if you were to have your own business? right? That's the contribution that they made. So a lot of homeschoolers will draw upon community resources, whether it's a library, whether it's other homeschooling parents, whether it's other free or low-cost resources within the community. They often draw upon these resources. Another thing that's a key that parents may like to know is that should you choose to be a homeschooler, in essence, you become a teacher. So you benefit from all teachers' discounts. And a lot of stores offer teachers' discounts, okay? I live near a store called Michael's. It's like a hobby store mm -hmm. for art. They offer, I think it's a 20% teacher's yep. discount. 20%. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I think Target at one point had a teacher's discount. So any teacher discount, any teacher perk, should you choose to be a homeschooling parent, all of a sudden you get that benefit, right? Uh, one thing that I would recommend, however, is to, to make things easier for you so that you can get that discount, is to, and, and some homeschoolers have been so creative about this, is to either go through the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund, the, home, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, will, for a very small fee, create a teacher's card for you uh, to show that you're a homeschool educator. And it's really fancy because it has the, the um, logo, their official homeschool legal association logo, which some people really like. So you can ask that association to create you a home educator card. And they will also sometimes, I think, create one for your child. But I know that I had them create that card for myself. So if anyone questions, well, are you really a home educator? I whip out my homeschool legal defense fund card with that fancy logo and said, here's my card. And I get that discount or that benefit of being a teacher. So, so those are things that help keep costs low for homeschooler and their families, whether they're working class, middle class, it's very possible. You know, um, last thing I would like to say about this, just to give you an example of, of how the high quality that parents are educating their children. Mm -hmm. I know of a family where both parents were high school, high school graduates, okay? Both were high school graduates. They chose to homeschool their child, right? Not only did their child get into college, but these high school graduates, they do not have a degree, okay? These parents did not have a degree, all right? Working class, okay? These working class parents who did not have degrees educated their child at such a high level, 
that this young person ended up getting a full academic scholarship to a major university. Full, not a partial scholarship, full ride. Absolutely. And so this is just an example of the high level of education that parents can give to their children. Absolutely. I think that that is such an important piece of this of this homeschooling conversation and one which I, I think that we've always seen, those of us who have even seen homeschooling as a viable option for families, always see a different demographic of person who's able to kind of do it. And so I love the fact that we're having this conversation about how it fits into a working class model, having this conversation about how it fits into a black family and particularly making it liberatory, making it decolonized and, and really looking at how do I protect and prepare my child for the world that they have to move into. And so this makes me want to ask and, and talk a little bit about homeschooling or the schooling that happens outside of the traditional education system for those parents who can't take the leap fully into homeschooling, who don't feel confident enough, don't feel comfortable enough to kind of make that leap. Um, what, what, are your, what are your tips and tricks for them? What are the things that you feel like need to be implemented into their home liberatory learning so that their children are still getting this information, knowing that so much of the curriculum in public education is colonized and is um, particularly oppressive? I understand. Excellent. Excellent question. I think uh, parents can do a variety of things. I think first thing would be to think about the materials, the reading and learning materials that are present in the home already. Okay. So are there books related to black and brown history or indigenous histories? You know, what do those look like? You know, are there games and toys related to black and brown experiences? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think parents need to do their homework, right? Because you're not going to find a black history board game at Target or Walmart, <laughs> right? So at least I haven't seen it at my Target or Walmart. So because of that, parents who are serious are going to have to do their homework, right? You're going to have to do searches related to these educational things and these educational products on your own. And you will be surprised at the magnitude of information and, and the products you'll find. To give you a brief example, I'm, I'm a very visual learner, so I like to give like real life examples. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to give you an example of what I mean by a decolonized toy or game, I wish I had it with me. It, it actually would take me a, a little while to go get it and show you. But if I had it here, I would show you because it's right in my home. My son and I, we actually have a board game where it's called, I forget, it's called the Black and Brown um, Leagues. I'm sorry, the, the Negro and um, Latino, Latina, Latina, baseball leagues game and in essence it's a game similar to monopoly however like the whole premise of the game is for you to put yourself 
in the shoes of a Negro League baseball player and to learn about all the challenges and barriers that those players had throughout the history of the Negro Leagues. And a lot of it has to do, of course, with racism, discrimination, but it also teaches you about the economic impacts, the negative, how, how in essence, these men were cheated so much financially, brought so much to the community, right? But in terms of financially, we're, we're so cheated and this game teaches you that. And that's an example, I think, of a quote-unquote decolonized toy or game where it, it's fun, it's engaging, but kids are learning about history, kids are learning about social issues, and there's quite a bit of math in this game as well, right? But you're not going to find it at Walmart, right? You have to do some homework, look online, and find these wonderful black and brown businesses who are producing these excellent products and go directly to them and support them. Yes. All right? Yes. That is, I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the reality, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the teachers and the companies and all of the places who are in charge of the curriculums that are built and created in public education, they are making a concerted effort to look for specific things that are going to teach the children in these schools specific ideology. And so it's very important that if we want to teach our children these practices, that we do the same. And so I think that that's such an incredible um, way of putting it and way of kind of rethinking how parents take ownership of their, their child's education. And so kind of coming, which is so crazy that I'm already coming to kind of our last question, but um, how does the push for Black families uh, to do homeschooling change the trajectory of our communities, in your opinion? In my opinion, it makes it more rich. It makes it more rich. It makes it more personable. It makes it more meaningful, all right? And why do I say that? I say that because along my journey, I've learned strategies on how to reinforce and embrace my culture and teach at the same time. And other families are doing this as well, right? So what do you mean by that? And I'll give you an example. I've, I learned from, from um, a wonderful group of homeschooling families, Black families, how they were integrating family history into their day-to-day -day curriculum, right? Now, you may say, oh, well, public schools have family history lessons, but no, 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 no. These brothers and sisters were taking it to a new level, right? Mm. Taking it to a new level where in essence, instead of just like a little worksheet on family history, do the worksheet and that's it, you don't revisit it for the rest of the year. These families are saying, no, no, we're gonna teach science through family history. We're gonna teach grammar through family history, okay? We're gonna teach all of these subjects through the lens of the family. So to give you an example of this, one way that I've incorporated it in our curriculum this past year is we looked at 
wars, all right? So like the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and um, the World War and looked at family members in our family who served, right? So my son not only needed to know what those wars were and why they were fought, so that's the overall general American history, right? But also learn about, okay, well, we need to learn about our our great-great-great-grandfather who fought this war, and then your own grandfather who was in the Vietnam War, right? So we know about the wars, but then let's make this more personal, you know? What was your grandfather's experience like serving in the Vietnam War? What was his experience like when he returned from the Vietnam War? What were his experience like as a veteran in these United States? following the war, how was he treated by his countrymen after serving in Vietnam? You know, making, connecting family history so that he knows who his family members are and how they have contributed to the American landscape, connecting that to the overall American history, right? And in essence, um, he was required to write an essay about the grandfathers who did serve, right? And what did I evaluate him on? What did that look like? I graded him in terms of language arts for that, okay, because it was essay. You know, he needed an opening paragraph, he needed the body, he needed that conclusion. So I graded him in terms of language arts. I graded him in terms of overall history. You know, did you incorporate other sources, where, who did you cite? When you talked about the Vietnam War, right? You need to cite, who did you cite? And how did you cite them, right? So including, evaluating him in terms of history. So that's just one example of how a lot of black and brown parents are into, are honoring their own cultures and family histories, incorporating that with the overall learning process, and then, as a result, having the children have a better understanding of them own, of their own selves, of their own family contributions, right? Mm-hmm. And how is that not validating? How how is that not healthy? That's very healthy. Absolutely. And I think that like taking this interdisciplinary approach to teaching is so incredibly important, particularly in communities where um we have an oral tradition, right? When you talk about com- indigenous communities, communities of color, there's an oral history. There's a passing down of information, a passing down of knowledge. And sometimes that is um, cut off by the traditional education system. No, there needs to be an article about it, or there needs to be a book about it, or there needs to be this about it for it to be real. Um, and bringing and bringing particular students personal experiences into an educational setting really validates their experience as humans, right? I think that that is an incredible way of thinking about where the shift to homeschooling can really come in handy because we're moving into into a world where deciding that particular things are important for kids to learn is no longer the way um, of education, right? We we have to think of education as something so much bigger than that, so much more important than that. And if each of us don't understand kind of where we come from, where we're going and how it all comes together to 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 implement and and 
kind of think of where we currently are and where we exist, our history is our present. We're only here because of our history. Um, and so I think that the things that you kind of touched on really highlights that. And so I just want to give you the opportunity before the end of this podcast episode to to share anything that you just think is important for listeners to know, understanding that the majority of our listeners are either Black educators or Black parents, um, in terms of this, this move to homeschooling, and even for those who don't think that they can homeschool, but want to make sure that their children are getting the information that they need, um, what, are, what are your kind of final tips, final tricks, final resources, anything that else that you want to share? Sure, sure. I think just a final statement, brief statement I would like to share is just how I do not think this, I do not have just a small hunch about this. I want to share that I know, I know parents watching this broadcast or listening to to this podcast can educate their children at a high level. You have all the tools, you have all of the skills, You have all of the knowledge base you need to give your child what they need to be successful adults and to not discount themselves. I think in this society, we have been taught to always second guess ourselves, to always discount ourselves, to not only second guess and discount ourselves as individuals, but to second guess and discount other black and brown people. Mm. I think that we need to grow beyond that and to understand we have what we need to move our children forward and to take ownership in that and, and to understand the beauty of that. Our kids need loving parents in the household who are invested in them, right? That it doesn't matter how good a teacher is, that that teacher is not going to love that child the way that the person who's raising that child day in, day out loves them, all right? There is something unique about that love, and that comes through in the learning process, right? When you're teaching your own child, it's beyond I'm teaching you because I'm getting paid, right? I'm a really good teacher and I'm teaching you because I'm getting paid and that's my life mission. That's nice, but it's next level when I brought you into this world, I provide for you financially, and I am teaching you this because I love you and I believe in you. That is significant. That is next level. That's next level parenting. That's next level in terms of teaching. Because when I teach my son, he is not being taught by a stranger. He's not. He's being taught by someone who's invested in him for his lifetime. Someone who's invested in him uh, and believes in him day in, day out, that's different than being taught by someone who's getting a paycheck. No offense to teachers out there who are teaching every day, such as yourself, right? No no offense, but I'm just saying it's just a different feel. And I know that because my mom taught me. Yeah. My mother taught me how to read. It was not a teacher. 
It was not a tutor. My mother, the woman who birthed me, taught me how to read. Mm. She would take time, sit me, sit me on her lap. And I remember this. I was only two or three year old, years old, but it was so loving and memorable that I remember her putting me on her lap and I'm getting all teary-eyed. <laughs> but I remember her putting me on her lap and saying, sweetie, this is the word cat. This is how you spell it. And that that's a different kind of learning, Miss mm. Eva. It's different. It's more impactful. It's more meaningful. It's more strong. Absolutely. And I, and I think that there's nothing else to be said, right? I think you just kind of, I mean, really, you highlighted why it is so important for not only to say, okay, every Black parent, take the shift, do the dive, become a homeschooling parent, um, but also just to, to, to think about the ways that you can just become more active in your child's yeah. education. And sure. I think that you highlighted those so incredibly. And so I thank you for taking the time on this Saturday afternoon um, to sit down with me to have this conversation, because I think it's going to be so incredibly impactful for our listeners. Great, great. Well, I want to honor you, Eva. You're doing such Thank wonderful you. work to empower and uplift the community. And I just want to encourage you to continue to move forward. And God bless you because you're doing beautiful things in this world. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone who just listened to this incredible episode. And um like, comment, share, spread the word about how we're going to continue to educate our communities by our own standards for us, by us, black on black education. Like that is what we are, what we want, right? That is why we became an organization. We want people to be educating black folks because they love black folks, because that's what we've been doing since the the beginning of time, right? And and so thank you so much, Dr. Davis. Uh, this has been such um, an insightful moment for me. And so, yeah, that is the end of the podcast episode. Thank you so much, listeners. And take us out, Dr. Davis, please. Thank you very much. Um, God bless you all.